When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The following podcast contains explicit language. Are you ready to make America great again? Bernie Sanders doesn't get it. Hillary Clinton doesn't get it. Barack Obama, he really don't get it. The next time we see him, we might have to kill him. Donald Trump has a lot of work to do telling us what he's going to do specifically. I continue to believe Mr. Trump will not be president. And the reason is because I have a lot of faith in the American people. Hello and welcome to Trumpcast, the show about the unpaid spokesman for Tic Tacs, Donald Trump. I'm Jacob Weisberg. Too soon? Okay, maybe that was too soon. <laughs> this is a Trumpcast special edition recorded late in the afternoon of Saturday, October 8th, and I think we all know why we're here to examine the implosion of Donald Trump thanks to a leaked video in which he says vile things about women and brags about committing sexual assault. I'm joined by one of my favorite people, Virginia Heffernan, who's been a guest on this program before. She's a journalist and the author of a new book about the internet, Magic and Loss. Virginia, thank you for interrupting your weekend to talk to me. Well, I mean, this is urgent, you know. We really got to get on this when when Donald is showing us a whole new side of himself. What a surprise. Misogyny surfacing, crude language. You know, it's really an October surprise. He could have knocked me over with a feather, exactly. But, you know, once again, it's the, it's the video. I mean, somehow it's the actuality that changes it. When you read, there have been long stories in the New York Times, and on the AP did a story, which I guess was part of the trigger for this video being released. But when you read about Trump sexually harassing women, it just does not have the same effect as hearing his voice and seeing him do it on a tape. Yeah, I think that's, I think it's amazing. There is something in the voices, and this is true when the, uh, the old Howard Stern shows surface, that is, um, there's no need for balance here. There's no need to weigh the evidence and, and contextualize it and tell us how long ago the incident he's referring to happened with uh, Nancy O'Dell, the Access Hollywood host. I guess we should recap the video exactly. But anyway, there's no putting it in the context of his marriage to, to Melania. There's no um, trying to make this fit into any kind of coherent story about a candidate for president. There's just the raw feed. And bam, there it is. You can't argue with it. And And spoiler alert, Donald Trump's not going to be president. Yeah. I mean, you would know better than anyone uh, on the qualitative research you've done with Trumpcast, but uh, <laughs> it really does seem unlikely. You know, I'm a little disappointed because we don't get to see how Hillary would have done against a non-cartoon, you know, and it, it's just her candidacy is so interesting to me that, you know, I wish she'd been given a run for her her money so we could have seen her really bring it. On the other hand... It'll be nice to see him lose. Yeah, but, you know, there's an interesting point there, and I was just thinking about this. Hillary, this in a way, Donald losing rather than Hillary winning 
deprives her of the mandate she wants. Yeah, she doesn't right. want to win that's this right. way. I mean, she wants to win and not lose, but she wants to win with a mandate by the voters to start to pursue her policies and put her program into effect. And if people are just voting for her on the basis of there is no other imaginable choice, right. she takes office in a real position of weakness. Yeah, if they if they go into if they if they go into the polls and say, "I'm going to vote for the candidate that didn't say I moved on her like a little bitch," or whatever Donald Trump said about the pass he made at Nancy O'Dell. If that's what they're thinking in the polls, that's a that's a strange way to go into the inauguration for Hillary Clinton. Well, it makes it too easy for everybody. I mean, seriously, you know, it makes it there's no need to learn about about any of the issues in the campaign. There's no need to think about any issues at all. I mean, the the uh, this campaign makes the choice so easy that there is a dumbing down of the electorate that's happening as a result of one party choosing Donald Trump. Yeah, you know, it's I don't I mean, I don't know why I'm thinking about this lately, but in this great book about from years ago called The Epistemology of the Closet by Eve Kasofsky Sedgwick, she um the book is about the closet and gayness, but there is this wonderful moment where she talks about bilingualism and the the sort of let's say the dominant position of someone who only speaks one language and even one dialect, the way Trump does, this coarse dialect that he has. Because, and she cites Reagan and Mitterrand. So Mitterrand was super worldly and spoke French and English. And Reagan spoke only English. So they always negotiated in English. So Mitterrand's always in his second language. And Trump just always gets to talk like this. And everybody else, because most women have and are familiar with this idiom, Hillary Clinton is certainly familiar with this idiom, but has had to completely abandon her way of talking and her way of comporting herself, you know, to have the conversation on this level. Right. I mean, he defines the terms of the debate. Yeah. It's very strange. And, you know, what's also interesting is how many of us actually do have the dialect of this particular hot mic slip. You know, it's not, I I really don't know anyone who says, I had no idea men spoke like this. Is that, is that what you, I mean, I wanted to ask you about that. Is that your impression? I, I'm around a lot of men. I'm I'm in locker rooms from time yeah. to time. I can't tell you the last time since maybe I was about 14 years old that I've heard men or boys. I, I don't certainly don't think it's the way men talk that I have an experience with. It may be a way the very young boys talk. Yeah, I, I sorry. I should have said. I mean, this sounds pretty close to the way some of the husbands on. Um, the Real Housewives of New Jersey talk, and some of the other, some other men from reality television, like Dog the Bounty Hunter, you know, where they're bleeping out a lot of stuff, mostly blue collar guys, but sometimes blue collar, blue collar guys with a lot with the money, you know. I just meant it's not language we all haven't heard before, even if we don't speak this way. But but the question of of whether men or some men do speak this way in private behind closed doors is kind of a key one. And it's interesting you, you make that point about reality TV, because those people are chosen in a way for their ability to to present a kind of exaggerated vulgarity. Yeah, that's and right. That's right. Trump does represent that. But you know, that's not necessarily, I mean, that goes to the the paradox of reality TV is that it's supposed to be realer than real. It's people who are very extreme examples of something recognizable, but then that in a certain way stands in for ordinary. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, I think that he, you know, I think in the beginning of his apology, he says, 
I never pretend to be someone I'm not. You know, he issued a short, short video apology for his remarks in 2005. And um, it's important to him. Sometimes his kids try to play it as he, quote, speaks from the heart, right? That there's like some sincerity here. But it's a little bit of a performance of sincerity. And when you look back on the Stern stuff, which is from longer ago than this, the 90s, he needs a Svengali. You know, he needs someone getting him to say these things. And he has a couple of different modes. So this one, he's with the adoring Billy Bush, who, you know, is really saying back to him, whoa, the Donald, your girl is hot, meaning the girl who's affording him onto the set. Mr. Trump, you're whatever, you're gold, you can do whatever you want, you're a star, that kind of thing. Howard Stern was a little different with him. So I think there's a way that Trump amps up the, like, I'm the master rapist here or whatever he is, that he's, like, completely alpha and preening in front of Billy Bush. But with Stern, he's a little more trapped. Like, Stern drives him into saying things he really probably would didn't plan to say. Yeah, I mean, Billy Bush is he seems like naturally a sort of toady and sycophant to someone like Trump. But he wasn't, you know, this wasn't on the air. He wasn't trying to goad Trump into saying anything for distribution. It just happened to get distributed. That's right. Yeah, he's he's just trying to suck up to stars the way he does on Access Hollywood. Right. But let's talk about this tape a little bit, just as a kind of artifact. And, you know, what what does it tell us about Trump? that we did or didn't already know. It's funny. He often starts by expressing revulsion about women, and partly this uh, this tape. In the full version, Trump begins by reflecting on how Nancy O'Dell, the woman he's talking about, is now ugly. And she's co-hosting or, you know, has at times co-hosted Access Hollywood with Billy Bush. So he's talking about Billy's colleagues. So he, it's the same way that we heard him talk about Alicia Mikado, that she's got fat. So like, there's a certain disgust. Then he talks about when she's a, you know, when, when she was beautiful and he tried to hit on her and then he's back to, but she looks awful now because she's had surgery. Disgust is a big element of it for him, you know, and then he's afraid of his own breath. You know, he pops a couple of TikToks and <laughs> says he should use them because he might end up kissing her. I mean, I'm not, I think this like sadistic connoisseurship thing where he talks beautiful, she's ugly, she's a 10, I'm rating her, isn't she fat? I mean, he seems just as interested in his capacity for disgust as his capacity for arousal. That's a fascinating observation. You know, he, he says, I mean, there's this one quote on the, on the tape, he says, I moved on her like a little bitch. Yeah. And I think I was wondering how to read that. I mean, my first take is he was saying I was acting like a little bitch and that I'm such, you know, I was so pathetic trying to get her into bed. But I kind of think he's saying she's the bitch. And actually, in a very literal meaning of bitch, like she's a female dog and I'm jump, I was trying to jump on her like a male dog. Yeah, maybe that's right. I mean, I he's not he's not a very good dirty talker, honestly. Like <laughs> Howard Stern is really really a champion because also now he's on Sirius so he can say what he wants, but for a long time he had to color in the lines with uh, you know, swearing and obscenities, vulgarities. And that was hard given how given how blue he wanted to play it. So that's how he came up with this kind of discussed arousal talk. But but Howard Stern has nothing like, I mean, Donald Trump has nothing like his finesse. And sometimes I'm not sure, like, I hadn't heard some of this language 
before, I didn't even know this grab her by the EUSS. You can say it on the show, Virginia. I didn't even know what that means exactly. Like, is that a familiar kind of assault to anyone? Is that a, a come on? Is that like something? No, I agree with yeah. you. It's bizarre. It's not, it's not even good dirty talk. I mean, I guess he, he, you don't want to hear him say vagina because he would rhyme it with China. But, um, <laughs> oh my God, exactly. It, it, like they would cut that on Veep. It's just, it, it's bizarre. It's not, it's not sexy. It's definitely vulgar, but it also it doesn't seem like something that I, I, you don't even know how to react to it. It's you just remember a, it's in a, the 40 year old virgin, that movie with Steve Carell, he says like, yeah, the guy is a virgin. He's 40 and he's describing, he's pretending that he's had sex to friends of his and he's describing how <laughs> right. great it was to have sex. So he's trying to sort of simulate that. I mean, go with me here. He's trying to sort of simulate that he's, that he's had sex, so he's trying to describe it, and he says, like, her breasts were like these big bags of sand. <laughs> <laughs> and I feel like there's almost a little of that here. He's a kissing bandit. He's, like, just suddenly goes up and kisses girls. Is that, like, Richard Dawson on Family Feud? I just don't know what that looks like, and I also don't know that we've ever seen Donald be a kiss on the lips at first meeting person. And obviously there's all this aggression around the grab her and but it's just hard to see this as sexy, like at all, even sexy, like a like a Hugh Hefner thing. Well, you know, I've always had the view, you know, that has, that has probably suffered in recent days that Donald Trump, you know, performs his ability to be surrounded by beautiful women for other men. Yes. That okay. it's not about getting, you know, it. and he's, you know, we know he's a he's a hygiene freak. He hates germs. Sex is dirty. There are a lot of germs involved. You know, I've always been skeptical about the idea that he's trying to have sex with a lot of beautiful women, but he definitely wants everybody to think he does or that he can. Absolutely. I mean, it's funny because he gives a list of, or disturbing and funny, he gives a list to Howard Stern of his, the 10 most, his 10 most beautiful women that he's just come up with. And Howard Stern flatters him by saying, this is going to be bigger than People Magazine's hottest people. And everyone's want to want to know, everyone's going to want to know who's on your list. Then Howard Stern cleverly makes it into the list of people Trump wants to have sex with. But the list turns out to be this like completely political list. It's like Diane Sawyer, because she once did a nice interview with me and not a mean interview. So she's on my list. And then Cindy Crawford, because her husband is a tenant in one of Trump's buildings. So there's nothing about him that's like lusting over the women on the list. You know, he even says like, well, one of them sometimes looks good in magazines, but actually when you see her up close, she's kind of gross. Sort of like strange revulsion and opportunism that is on his list. And Howard Stern, no matter how he tries to drive him, can't really get him to, you know, speculate about actual sex. That's Virginia, I think you've hit on the thing that the, the kind of like false note in his you know, abusive hostility to women. It, there is male locker room talk, and this doesn't sound quite like it. It's a little off, and I think maybe that's why. I wonder, you know, he says, I did try, I don't remember if we can or can't use these words, but let's just say I did try to F-word her. I did try to fuck her. She was married, he says about Nancy Odell. Now, you think we're going to hear, like, you know, I took her home, I like some skin, and there's some drinking, and there's some whatever, but no. I took her out furniture shopping. <laughs> furniture she store. wanted to get some furniture. So, like, he's using his locker room talk to make two sentences. I took her out for furniture shopping. She wanted to get some furniture. And here's one of my favorites. 
he quotes his own dialogue and it, you know, it consumes, I don't know, a significant portion of the transcript. I said, open quote, I'll show you where they have some nice furniture, close quote. I took her out furniture, out for furniture. <laughs> I moved on her like a bitch. So where is the moving on her? Is it the taking it out for furniture? Is it, it when he right. says his, his very seductive line, I'll show you where they have some nice furniture? I mean, who wouldn't fall for that? That's like very white. <laughs> All right, Virginia, I'm not, I, I'm not sure if, if, if you're comfortable talking about this, but I remember after we had our last conversation, you told me that you knew a couple of women who had actually worked with Trump in some role and didn't want to come forward but had yeah. but had experienced him being very abusive. Can you talk about that at all, obviously, without saying anything about who these, who I mean, these women are? I think are? by now, and they'd probably be willing to come on the show because it's sort of, you know, ancient history by now in the campaign, at least a couple months old, that when he was doing the Miss Universe pageant, his excitement about appraising women like chattel, I don't think that we can underestimate how important that is. That sadistic connoisseurship. But you can imagine him looking at faucets and gilded this is a mat and saying the same thing. So it's like the one to 10 with Alicia Mercado, but these women said this too. A lot of his conversation about that former Miss Universe is that she um, exact estimates of what she weighed at different times. It's like very left brain, you know, he doesn't seem like in the limbic system, but that thing of having the women parade in front of him and him saying hot, hot, not hot or whatever, it seems very much part of it. Um, I, I don't think we should make him into different kind of woman hater than he is. You know, if he's like, it seems we, there's sufficient evidence to say that he likes to think about women's bodies as sources either of kind of admiration or, or disgust. And that he has, you know, a way, as you say, of like, of, forging relationships with men over these particular kind of conversations. Yeah, and just as a sort of last thought here, Virginia, how have you reacted to the way Republicans have been responding? I mean, there was this initial wave of, they all responded in this very pious way of, you know, as a father, mm -hmm. as a as a husband, as a, as a son. And I think, you know, a lot of us had the, had the reaction, that's, that's so false. I mean, you should react to this as a, as a fellow member of the human race, as a human being. Yeah. But how do you read the way the right is, the, including the religious right, which had amazingly embraced Trump before this, and seems pretty likely to be the first off the bus now. What do you read into their reaction? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I want to hear you on that because I was really surprised. Maybe this is super cynical, but the fact that he says she was married about Nancy O'Dell, you know, that he was like actually trying to have sex with someone who was in the old language, quote, another man's wife. Yeah. I wonder if that makes this more disturbing than his appraisals of Rosie O'Donnell and so forth. Yeah, no, I think you're. I think you're right. It's the it's the uh, biblical injunction against adultery. You know, the, I mean, the injunctions against uh, adultery, not not against sexual harassment. You know, and the fact. Yeah, and it's, yeah, that's weirdly, right. it seems to matter more right. that he acknowledged that she was married than that he was married. That seems to be that both things might matter, but the one matters more. Yeah, I think that one feels creepier to people, even than, you know, whatever may, that it, did he may, there might be something slightly unwholesome in the way that he looks at Ivanka or all that stuff seems sort of forgivable. I mean, I think to be a little bit sympathetic to, to, you know, people who might excuse him or excuse sexual harassment or, you know, we just had movies about 
made-for-TV movies about Clarence Thomas and so forth, that, like, it's really hard to know, and there is a lot of subtlety, obviously, in courtship and seduction, and it's just hard. It's hard to do it on either side. And I think men of a certain age are probably pretty sure that they're not great at it. And so sometimes seeing, you know, those seem like foibles. They seem like, oh, you know, he was trying to, to like get these Miss Universes to like him and he, maybe he's a little awkward. You know, a lot of his supporters say, oh, he doesn't, he doesn't talk diplomatically or he's not, you know, he's sort of like rough I am of speech. I think Othello says, you know, it's like that smart part of my charm. I'm like kind of not that great at this. But this is straight up adultery. This is straight up, you know, a discussion at least of an effort to, and not just cheat on his wife, that's one thing, but seduce another man's wife, you know? And that's not a question of rising standards. I mean, standards on sexual harassment, sexual discrimination are changing rapidly. And, you know, while some, what you'd like to think what he said would never have been acceptable, there's a there is a very different view of things now than there was even ten years ago, let a, let alone twenty years before that. But adultery is is a, uh, is an eternal wrong, I guess, from the point of view of of uh, conservatives in politics. You know, it's funny because I um, I wrote a couple of pieces this week about the campaign. One of them was about Howard Stern and and Donald Trump, and you know. The, particular slightly S&M-ish dynamic between the two of them. <laughs> and then another piece about how I thought Hillary might consider talking about her um, husband's infidelity because she had an experience too. And that experience is something, you know, she might be proud of, which is not just being patient and wifely and getting through it, but, you know, showing this resilience and sense of humor that, and um, perseverance. So, both they were they were met so differently. Um, I have to say, male editorialists loved the first one because lots of writers identify with Howard Stern because he's smart and witty and he's in the media. But they also they said, you know, Hillary should stay quiet about this thing because talking about her husband's infidelities is not about her campaign. But these are her experiences. Are I mean, she had experiences too during those years. You know, and that that like domestic abuse or whatever you call chronic infidelity and compulsive lying about it is something that makes her relatable, at least to other women and other people who've who've endured it. So I, I don't know. I, I guess I came away thinking something something you just said is true, that the voter on the fence is interested in this man on man dynamic. And maybe there's something unwholesome in the Trump Billy Bush conversation that also rankles people who've listened to it and other Republicans who've listened to it. And we got to say, I mean, in the, you can't make this stuff up. Billy Bush is a Bush cousin. It's crazy. But we could call this the Trump Bush conversation. And, you know, maybe he was presciently doing work on behalf of the Bush dynasty by getting Trump into hot water in 2005. Well, uh, I'm calling it the boys on the bus video. <laughs> I think that's better. Virginia, thank you for joining me on the show today. Thank you. That's it for today's show. Trumpcast is produced by Jason DeLeon. Steve Lichtai is the executive producer of Slate Podcast. Andy Bowers is the chief content officer of the Panoply Network. This has been a Trumpcast special edition. Let us know if you like today's show. You can leave us a comment on iTunes or just tweet at me at Jacob Wee. And we'll be back on Monday 
with another special show with the political gab fest after the debate on Sunday night. Until then, I'm Jacob Weisberg. Thanks for listening to Trumpcast. Trumpcast.